Hey, hey there, welcome back. And if you're new to my podcast, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. As we continue to navigate a comeback from the last two years, finding our footing, and attempt to make progress forward, there seems to be just one more thing happening that's being brought to our attention via media or social media or the news and could potentially be taxing us mentally and emotionally. You could be feeling rather frazzled, stressed out, anxious, panicky, depressed, any, all, doesn't matter. I think in some ways we're kind of all in the same pool, definitely having different experiences. But I think one thing for sure is we've had a lot of similar feelings mentally and emotionally. And I want to talk about that. As we end the sixth month of 2022, we've just entered into June, we enter a season of summer. Kids out for the summer, parents juggling their schedules to accommodate the shifts in kids' schedule, and a time period where suicide increases. Despite the common belief that suicide rates peak during the cold and dark months of the winter season, the prevalence of suicide is greatest during the late spring and early summer. This may be shocking news to some, which is why it's important that we keep an eye out, not only on our own mental health, but also that of others that we know. Hi there, I'm Dr. Kelly Ray. I'm a mindset coach, counselor, notably known as the Inner Critic Tamer, and I am super passionate about helping others just like you and me who have survived things perhaps we don't like to talk about, but we know we want to do better for ourselves because it's good for our kids and their kids to come. We want to be the change makers, right? We want to shift the status quo of, well, that's the way I was raised, or that's the way it's always been. I'm obsessed with teaching others how to tame their inner critic, that inner childhood conditioning, or as I like to say, undo that crap that happened to you and continues to maybe keep you somewhat stuck and teach you how to heal from it in order to live the vibrant life you were designed to live. And during this episode, we're going to be talking about what to do when you know someone you love who isn't quote unquote fine. How many people have ever said that? Come on, ladies. I know more than ever. I've heard ladies say that when you ask how they're doing, you can see they're just a frazzled mess and they're like, I'm fine. And and I can say that because I have been that frazzled mess that has proudly wore the shirt of I'm fine when I'm not and I wonder why we do that what kind of crazy nonsense conditioning have we programmed in our brain to believe that that's the way we have to be moreover with full transparency I ask you that you consider this subject that we're talking about today when we're dealing with maybe people that we know who we see struggling and say they're fine, but we know they're not. Consider those that aren't ourselves. How many times have we said that we're fine and we're not, and we've brushed off doing anything about it? I want you to listen to this episode, not only thinking of potentially somebody else you might know, but 
asking yourself deep down, being honest with yourself, how is this applicable to me? Where have I maybe bit off more than I can chew? Where have I let myself care? Where have I let the stress and struggle and the busyness of life keep me from perhaps doing a little internal work? Quite often we measure what we think is mental health wellness by someone else's and we think that we're doing just quote unquote fine, meaning you look at somebody else and say, well, they're more of a hot mess than I am, so I must be doing just fine. And I'm going to ask you to table that thought process just for this episode so that we can just look a little bit further, not only to ourselves, but for others. For many, you're a prideful person and have either been taught or decided that asking for help is considered a weakness and therefore often struggling emotionally alone. You've been conditioned to believe you have to suck it up and carry on. You've been conditioned to believe it's not the time to deal with it because of X, Y, Z. You've been conditioned to believe you always have to be the strong one for everyone else's sake because after all, the world would fall apart, right? At least that's what you've been conditioned to believe. I don't think there's any disputing what we've been through during the last couple of years that it hasn't somehow, some way, at some moment in time, been a little taxing on you. Some of it's been good and some of it not so good. I know myself, when the pandemic first occurred and we were shut down, I'm not going to lie, I felt a huge relief. Dare I say I was privately in my home or in my backyard giddy over the idea of everything being put at a pause and a standstill. Did that mean that I wasn't concerned about COVID or the health of my family or myself? Absolutely I was. But there, this relief even exceeded all of my concern or fear. You know, it got a little crazies in the stores and stuff with the toilet paper and all that nonsense. And, you know, all of a sudden, as that's hitting, beans and bread and rice and pasta have been totally wiped off the shelf. So I'm not sure what happened to all the keto folks, but it, it was looking at that time period like we had all just jumped off the keto train back onto our carb wagon. Anyway, I digress. My daughter and I were both very relieved. My daughter was finishing up her junior year of high school, and like most teens, she was feeling the pressure and the stress of being a teen. School's weird, isn't it? You're thrusted with all of these people and you have to be there. You can't put in a two-week notice and look for another position. You can't decide to retire early because you're financially planned well. You can't just up and move because you're not legally old enough and your parents or guardians more than likely work around where you live and need their jobs to provide for the family. College, on the other hand, is much more different. It's a choice to be there. 
but when you're a teenager you you have no choice i mean you do but you're you would be hurting yourself if you decided to quit school or whatever i think you get my point there's a social and emotional development that happens in our early to late teens that can set some foundations for how we handle social settings in the future no doubt we have parents both coupled and or single raising kids and managing the mental, emotional, physical, and financial obligations of life. So again, when the shutdowns happened, it was a welcome sight in our household. We had been going a million miles an hour, attempting to keep up with life and all its demands. And if truth be told, it was wearing on both of us. And I know that we were not the only two that life had been wearing on. I'm sure many of you can relate on some level. In fact, how many of you felt you were given this tremendous gift to reset and reprioritize your life? I know many took to remodeling their homes, decluttering their spaces, and catching up on all the Netflix series they've been wanting to see. But how many took a serious look at their mental, emotional wellness? Can I just throw this out there? No one, not one person is immune from mental health issues. It can be hard to admit when life isn't all rainbows and unicorns. So if your BS detector pings when a loved one or yourself says they're fine when they or your actions say otherwise, what do you do? I get it. Sometimes it's hard to approach our friends or loved ones and have uncomfortable conversations, letting them know you see them struggling emotionally or that they appear to be on the verge of a mental breakdown. We could probably talk about it with a stranger and be fine, but when it comes to our relationships, friends, families, lovers, that's a whole different ballgame, am I right? We worry sometimes about having these conversations because we worry about losing our best friend, our family member, our kids, our significant other. As one of the six basic human needs we have, Love and connection is one of them. And when that basic human need is at risk of being abandoned or quit on, it can feel like too much is of a risk to take to help someone to get the support they need. We would rather just keep our mouths shut rather than disrupt the proverbial apple cart to help them out of our own fear of losing our friend, losing our loved one. No doubt it can be a tough spot to be in, and yet we owe it to ourselves and to those we care about to have those uncomfortable conversations, don't we? I think so. Here's the thing. You might feel tempted to dig in until you uncover the truth so you can help, but at the same time, you want to respect their privacy and autonomy. The good news is that there are ways to do both and also to increase the likelihood of this conversation going as smoothly as possible. So I want to talk 
about some tips for having a caring, respectful mental health check-in with a loved one who doesn't seem fine at all. First, ask yourself, am I approaching this from a place of concern or judgment? Before you begin to think about what you're going to say, do some self-reflection. If you're nervous about having this conversation, ask yourself why. Are you scared to talk about something so intimate? This is a legit worry. Are you worried about their safety and well-being or that of their kids? Are you mainly worried about what it will mean for them or for you if they are in fact struggling with a mental health issue? If it's the latter, that might point to you having internalized some societal stigma around mental health. Many people grow up learning that mental illness should be a secret, but try to remind yourself that there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, and it's not a choice. Feeling deep down that mental illness is shameful will make it that much harder to have a supportive conversation with your loved one. I want to add a side note here. A mental health issue or illness can be as simple as anxiety, panic, stress, sadness, and light depression, etc. A mental health issue doesn't always mean someone is mentally incapable of handling the day-to-day operations of life. Just like many quote-unquote illnesses, they can have a temporary time period to where after a while you're healed. Look, when you think of having the common cold, right? That might be three or four days. The flu, a couple weeks, maybe right and what do we do we take care of ourselves we we handle treating our symptoms and and we get help if we need to i'm going to encourage you to consider that the same when it comes to having anxiety or stress or no many people are reporting i've had clients even that are kind of struggling with the reintegration after COVID and being shut down because we got so isolated. We got to where we were only hanging out with those that resonated with our way of being, our thoughts or our family, and therefore then being able to have to go back out into the world like a high school of all of these different personalities and stuff kind of being thrusted back in there. It can be a little daunting and it could have triggered a little anxiety. I know for myself, somebody who is not an anxious person, who does not deal have anxiety, I, for the first time ever, became very aware of a little bit of anxiety around social integration again. And I'm not going to lie. There's moments where I still kind of, with everything that's going on, you know, that's being reported seen tons of people not dealing with their mental and emotional well-being. We're seeing a lot of anger. We're seeing a lot of rage. We're seeing a lot of pain being done, inflicted internally as well as externally. If we even just think of the number of mass 
shootings that have happened here in the U.S. in just this last few weeks alone. We cannot be sitting here thinking that people's mental health is optimal right now. Yes, people, there's people that are taking the steps necessary to help their wellness. And there's a lot of people not, which is why I felt it was super important and relative that we have this conversation. We're friends now, right? I'd like to link I'd like to at least think that we're friends and the kinds of friends that we can have these conversations to help uplift and support one another. So let's let's continue on with some more tips. The first one is to be willing to recognize and see in yourself where you may have some resistance with the word mental health issues or illness. Reframe it if you want. Stress, anxiety, panic, depression, sadness, those all fall under mental health issues, just as an FYI. It's not just about being bipolar or schizophrenic or, you know, anything like that. Those are extremes for sure. Um, Personality disorder, those things all There's a scale, a spectrum, even if you think of like autism, there's ranges within autism um, and, and it's no different with regards to these mental health things that we're talking about today. The second one I have here is decide if you're going with a blunt conversation opener or if you're going to be more delicate about it. The best way to broach the subject depends on the person. If they typically prefer a straight shooter, then something like, hey, it looks like you've been pretty bummed out lately. You're avoiding my calls or always seem withdrawn when others are around. I know you've said you're fine, but really, is anything going on? How can I help? This alone might just open the floodgates. If they usually shy away from confrontation, try something general like, things are so stressful these days. How have you been dealing with life? And then listen, give them an opportunity to talk. Number three, use observations about their behavior to explain why you're worried. During your conversations, consider gently pointing out observations about your loved one's behavior rather than outright saying something like, I think you're depressed. Although there's nothing wrong with having depression, diagnosing and labeling someone isn't your role. Besides, it can be a sensitive subject and that last thing we want to do is trigger someone to go immediately into defense mode. Instead, mention whatever it is that you've noticed. It seems like you've been seeing friends less often, or maybe drinking more than usual, or skipping out on a hobby that you used to love, or other possible signs of anxiety, depression, or excessive stress. Then ask, what do you think that's about? Number four, bring this up when you're both feeling relatively relaxed. It may seem obvious that you shouldn't start this conversation when tensions are running high, but those can be the hardest times to make level-headed decisions. For example, if you're mad because your friend texts to bail on you once again, 
as they have been doing recently. You might feel frustrated or mad, but also have a deeper worry that something's going on. As long as your friend doesn't seem in danger of harming themselves or others, consider taking a beat and starting the conversation after the anger and annoyance recedes, ideally in person. Continue listening because I'll be sharing what to do if you are concerned about their risk of hurting themselves or hurting others. If it's in the heat of the moment and you load on top of that, that you could be worried about them and you get resistance, it can be just shutting everybody down and causing an even more division or argument. And and I know that that's not what you're wanting to do. It can be hard when we get triggered because we think that we're putting on the persona of fine and... And and we're not. People are seeing through it. So it could be a little defensive for the one that we're talking to. Number five, tell them you're coming from a place of care, not judgment. Let them know you care for them dearly and you're worried about what you've been observing. And, you know, not from that holier-than-now position or that you-know-what's-best position which might be tempting if this isn't your first go-round on this subject matter with them. Just saying, still come from that place of compassion, of empathy. Consider something like, you're really important to me. I see that you're suffering or struggling and you don't need to go it alone or in silence. You can get some support You can even straight up tell them that you're not judging them. You just want to make sure they're as happy and healthy as possible. I know sometimes this can feel hard to hear, especially if you're already not feeling good, but have been putting on that fine face for the outside world. In fact, it can possibly make us feel like we're being judged because someone else is seeing what we're feeling which means we're not hiding it well enough. This is not an opportunity to hide more. It's an opportunity to accept help. Number six, share your own experience or of someone you know. Some might suggest celebrities or high profile people, but honestly, unless these are real people in your life, that you can relate to, it's not gonna mean a whole lot. If you have ever had tough times with mental health, been in therapy, or thought about seeing a mental health professional, share that information if you're comfortable doing so. You're telling them it's okay to feel the way they're feeling. This can help ease some of their fears and concerns about being judged. It's funny, even me as a counselor coach, I reach out for support when I'm struggling. The thing is, so often we just go round and round in our head that there's no sounding board outside of us to bounce those thoughts and feelings off of. 
also there's something about hearing that dialogue that's going on in your head being verbalized out loud that can cause you to pause and and consider is that really true is that really how i'm feeling and why things make sense in our head for example feeling anxious or stressed or panicky or depressed but quite often when it's talked about out loud it doesn't feel as strong as it does rolling around in our heads if you've ever if you've never dealt with mental health issues maybe you can think of someone who has or knows someone who has and how they were afterwards offer to help in their search for a mental health professional but let them take control of actually reaching out it is your loved one's choice to seek professional help and keeping that in mind will allow you to respect their autonomy as the old saying goes you can lead a horse to water but you can't make them drink you can offer to help them look up someone or ask for referrals from others but don't make the calls for them this is not the time to be codependent that just leads down a whole other situation number 8 don't state a full on intervention don't stage one don't rally up the troops to gather together to have this intervention with your friends to talk about whatever it is that you've observed in them it can feel nerve-wracking no doubt to approach your loved one or somebody very special to you about this subject matter and what you're observing in them so you might feel more comfortable teaming up with others who have also showed concern and i'm going to encourage you do not do this the person on the other end they could feel betrayed judged and ganged up on they may not see you as having their best interest at the moment the person you love may become angry and or aggressive particularly if you bring in people that they didn't want to know their problems and they may also pull away from you this advice also applies to your one-on-one -on -one conversations with them Even if other people have told you that your loved one has been acting differently, it might be best to avoid broadcasting this to them. It doesn't want to seem like you're gossiping behind their back. Number 9. If they're insisting they really truly are fine, don't push it. unless they are at risk to themselves or others the choice to seek treatment is really up to them so if they still say nothing is wrong after you've brought up changes in their behavior in a kind non-judgmental way move on you can say something like okay i'm glad you're doing well you can always come to me if that changes things you might see as red flags like no longer going out all the time with friends could be a result of your loved one already working on their mental health being more true to who they are or making decisions about who they want in their life or they may simply not be ready to talk about their mental health yet 
prying would damage the relationship and the person should feel empowered to handle their own problems. You can make observations, you can be there for support, and you can make recommendations. But at the end of the day, it's their life. And you have to remember to take care of your own mental health in the process. Number 10, follow your gut when it comes to bringing up this topic again. If time passes and you notice that something still seems off, you might want to revisit the conversation. Maybe it seemed like your loved one was right on the precipice of sharing, but not quite ready. Remember, you're planting seeds. They might come back to you one day, or maybe you know your loved one would just retreat from you further, in which case the best option might be to support them with only your actions until they're ready to bring this up on their own, if ever. This is one spot where your past relationship with the person really informs what you decide to do. Number 11. Remind yourself that you can choose to step away from the relationship if it's necessary for your own mental health. This is, of course, not a free pass to avoid your loved one because you want to be there for them but don't want to know how. If that's your situation, ask them. Otherwise, Let's say your loved one does not open up to you about their mental health and you really step up to the plate to support them. That might be a huge help. Remember that it's okay to continue your own life as you sustain your relationship. Depending on how much it is impacting you, If you consistently rush to their side when they're struggling, for example, you may need to step back at some point for the sake of your own mental wellness. In general, you can offer help until they that help drains your own well-being. When you feel like giving is draining your own life, it's probably way too much. In that case, talk to your loved one, reinforce how much they mean to you, and also set the expectation going forward. Be careful not to frame this conversation as though they are a burden or like the sole reason you're stepping back in because of their issues. With that in mind, it's best to avoid generalities like, I always feel exhausted after we talk. Instead, when they're in a relatively good spot, focus on setting specific boundaries. You can try something like, I love you so much and am committed to being there for you, but I won't be able to come over as much as I have been lately. I want to help you get a handle on your anxiety, but I don't think I'm enough on my own. Have you talked about this with a counselor coach? And if they don't have one, this can be a great time to ask their opinion on counseling or coaching and share any stories about how it may have helped you or someone you know. I know for many, coaching is still a relatively new thing. 
We understand the concept of having a sports coach or a personal trainer, but the concept of having a coach for your mental, emotional wellness may be new. And you may be wondering, what's the difference between a coach and a counselor? When people ask me what the difference is, as I do both, I share that as a counselor, it's creating a safe space for someone to share their thoughts and feelings. I do a lot of reflective listening. As a coach, I'm meeting you where you are today, finding out where you want to go, and we work a plan to get there. This can require talking about your past, your childhood, etc. But the ultimate goal is to heal those areas of your life in order for you to successfully move forward and live your vibrant life. I have clients that have gone through my coaching process and later on, if something comes up, they'll come in for a maintenance counseling session where they're ultimately working their solution, but in a judgment-free safe space to process their feelings. Number 12, watch out for signs of deep depression or suicidal thoughts so you can get emergency help for your loved one. If your loved one talks about taking their own life, acquires the means to do so, changes their normal routine in a way that worries you, begins behaving recklessly or gives away their belongings, they may be considering suicide. Now is the time to speak up. Don't be afraid to ask the person if they're feeling suicidal. If they say yes, help them contact their physician or get in touch with their family. Get them to the emergency room if you can or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline and the number for them is 1-800-273-8255. Call them for guidance. Life and death matters are not a time when you need to worry about intruding. There is no such thing when it comes to trying to prevent someone's suicide. If your loved one says they don't have depression or experience suicidal thoughts, but you don't believe them, you may need to make a judgment call. If you're really worried, you can take the above measures. If it comes to it, you may need to call 911 and tell them the whole story. If they're going to dispatch an officer, then also see if it's possible for them to send someone who has crisis intervention training. Bear in mind that this might wind up with your loved one being held against their will in a psychiatric facility. This may seem harsh and potentially excessive, but for people who are in true danger, it may be the very best option. Here's what I know. Having deeper conversations about potentially uncomfortable subjects around mental health can be difficult and scary to have. But consider the alternative if not. We must become a society that can as easily ask for help as we talk about getting coffee 
or asking someone to go to a ball game or sharing the latest do-it-yourself technique that you learned. The more we continue to dance around or avoid the subject purely because it's not fun or difficult doesn't improve the quality of our lives. And how about we get to the point where we say we shifted the way our family always did things rather than continuing, well, that's the way it's always been or that's the way I was raised. Those latter two are easy, lazy excuses and need to stop being the normal behavior. I know there's been so many events as of late that has really taken a toll on people's emotions. And it can be difficult. It can be difficult to find joy and purpose in your daily life when you're consumed with incredible amounts of sadness and despair. You can be feeling triggered with all that is going on, even if your logical mind says you're fine. We still must carry on and continue on with our lives. We still have to do things. We still have to be present. We still have to be grateful and the good that we have even in an imperfect world. Even in the midst of heartache, we can find peace and joy. And that's not a bad thing. I hope that you're doing well and if you're not I hope after hearing this message you will be willing to reach out for support be willing to reach out more than once if the first time doesn't work or isn't a fit let me ask you something would you stop looking for a new pair of shoes if the first pair you put on didn't fit more than likely not You'd keep looking until you found the one that fit. I encourage you to take that same strategy when it comes to reaching for help and your mental and emotional wellness. Keep trying until you find a fit. If you found this episode helpful, then I encourage you to follow this podcast and share with others because we never know who might need this message. Again, if we're all hiding behind the, the pretext of I'm fine, we may not really know what's going on behind the scenes. So being able to have something like this to listen to may just be the thing that helps them step out of that fine mode to actually get some help so they can be fantastic. Also, every week I share ways to help you get through the week. And lastly, and certainly not least, if you'd like to connect with me, here's how. I'm on Instagram at AskDrKellyRae. It's D-R-K-E-L-L-Y-R-A-E. I'm on Facebook, B. B is in brown. My website is DrKellyRae.com. And my email is drkellyray at gmail.com. Until next week, please know I send you so much love.